our calendar is a representation of our focus and our time and our attention. And one of my core values is really efficiency and not in the hyper productivity way, but the fact that I'm only going to say yes to things that absolutely matter to me. And a lot of us end up having these leaky boundaries. We don't have clarity around our goals. We're not sure where we're headed. And that's what makes us feel overwhelmed as well, especially in independent medicine. We have brilliant practitioners bleeding out their time and energy, and they haven't really taken a look at their systems or their workflow and see how they can epitomize their own skills to optimize what they can offer. This is Getting to Yes, the podcast with leaders from all walks of life, exploring their successes, mistakes, and lessons learned in influence, persuasion, and getting others to say yes, and then taking an insight or two to help you achieve even greater things. Let's face it, everyone would love to be more productive, less stressed, and operate with effortless flow. But the exact how can be elusive. So in today's episode, we're going to unpack with Dr. Laura Selye on how to create a flow channel culture in your workplace. And for those of you that haven't met Laura Selye before, she's a functional medicine DO with extensive leadership training at the Flow Research Collective, and she's guiding her mentees on building a catalyst culture to channel more flow and ease in their workplace systems. She's also the host of the Catalyst podcast. She's written a memoir, Right Brain Rescue, And as I alluded to, she's mentoring countless health practitioners to color outside the lines. So, Lara, welcome to the show. Thank you, Uli. You're my favorite person to co-host a podcast with. We always get into good flow. And it wasn't until I started studying flow that I understood why doctors and nurses and all the practitioners in healthcare are so burned out. We've removed flow from our healthcare spaces. So I'm excited to unpack this a bit today and explain how we can put flow back into the practice of medicine. Yeah, absolutely. I've always admired you as a relentless innovator and maverick reimagining what medical care delivery could look like. And I love that you're now going upstream to not only help patients feel better, but look after the providers delivering that care and supporting patients in their journey. And that's something that's been very evident when we first connected back in 2016, when we co-created the Evolution of Medicine Practice Accelerator designed to help health practitioners launch a low overhead micro practice. So why don't we start with defining what a catalyst culture is and then just go out from there, you know, how to apply this in your business. Well, catalyst culture is something that I've termed that combines flow channeled with anti-burnout. And so taking a lot of the research from Flow Research Collective, from Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and Shanna Felt and all these people that are researching burnout and flow, when we combine these terms into one umbrella, we get this catalyst culture, which is going to help practitioners understand why they're doing what they're doing and not waste themselves in the process, not diminish their energy. And so flow is something that we all can have and we can all be primed to find more opportunities for flow. But the problem is we are immersed in burnout. 96% of us admit that we have been burned out. And that is a certain brainwave pattern in our brain, which is grief. And so it's hard to think clearly. We feel depersonalized. We're running on fumes. We're emotionally exhausted. We don't have any perceived 
achievement. Mm -hmm. When we retro-engineer that equation, it literally is flow. Flow is literally the opposite. So what a culture looks like, there are 10 criteria, but here's some top examples. A catalyst flow-channeled culture is one of feedback with integrity and communication, mm -hmm. with values and missions aligned, with frequent check-ins for burnout to make sure that you are strengths-focused and that you aren't just wasting time on low cognitive tasks, that you have a systems overview, that your workflow is chan. Um, it's a psychologically safe space. And so all of these components come together. And when you put a litmus test like this through a residency or a hospital system or even your own clinic, you see a lot mm -hmm. of us don't pass the test. We don't have a lot of these criteria in place. Yeah, it's almost as if the system has purposefully designed to not empower people. And maybe that's the conventional way the medical system worked. As you're seeking to help all these practitioners to step out on their own and practice the medicine they want to practice, it, it's so important to kind of untrain that it seems like we're all born as a PC and then we reboot our operating system and we emerge as a Mac. I don't know. <laughs> In some ways, it requires a lot of reformatting and untraining. And it's not obvious or common knowledge that these things happen. And I personally, I'm very inspired by what you've taught me over the years that focusing really on nervous system health and balancing that and just ensuring that you don't have these cognitive leaks where all your energy and focus is leaching out and then you're so tired and you can't get the stuff done that you really need to get done. So thank you for doing that. Well, thank you for being so enthusiastically co-participating in that conversation because mm -hmm. it, to use that computer analogy, which works brilliantly, is that we are a large computer and there are a lot of programs running in the background that are taking up our energy. And that is the truth of it all is our calendar is a re representation of our focus and our time and our attention. And one of my core values is really efficiency and not in the hyper productivity way, but the fact that I'm only going to say yes to things that absolutely matter to me. And a lot of us end up having these leaky boundaries. We don't have clarity around our goals. We're not sure where we're headed. And that's what makes us feel overwhelmed as well, especially in independent medicine. And I think that's what really made me passionate is you jump out of the fire into the frying pan. Burnout is everywhere. It's not just in an employed conventional setting. It's also in functional and integrative medicine. We have brilliant practitioners bleeding out their time and energy, and they haven't really taken a look at their systems or their workflow and yep. see how they can and epitomize their own skills to optimize what they can offer. So I'm so passionate about just saving the practitioners from being burned out and overwhelmed in their second chapter of their career. Yeah, and I see so many of our own clients that work with you, how amazed they are, and I can see the transformation that they're so much calmer, so much more focused that they understand what really matters and what doesn't. And there's a lot less FOMO of like all these low level tasks, like I gotta do this, I gotta keep up with the Joneses. And they say, no, 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 this is what matters to me. This is how I show up in the workplace on social media. And the audience can see this, that you're suddenly more put together or more purposeful or more inspired, you have that sustenance to keep you going. And you can really tell those practitioners that have integrated that catalyst culture are just, they seem happier. Yeah, and that's the key is when you have a happier practitioner, you're going to attract patients differently. You're going to also see better outcomes. You're going to 
attract patients that understand and respect the culture that you're setting. And Mm -hmm. so let's take a journey back. I think this is a great contrast. And I just did this at one of my half day lab experiences. And we talked about what did medicine look like years ago and the contrast with now. So if we look years ago, doctors mostly had private practices. So they had autonomy, a lot more autonomy than they did now. They were able to pick their staff. They were able to really control their schedules. They had simple formularies. There weren't big pharma ads prompting patients to come in and ask your doctor. There weren't all these measurements and RVUs and metrics and Prescani and all these things that doctors were pitted Mm -hmm. against and a measurement of their skills. They also had familiarity with their patients. A lot of doctors were able to have waiting lists and then invite patients into their office instead of being just forced new patient panels are switching and new insurances. Now you have all these people you're unfamiliar with. So you can't really get into that flow cadence. Back then, doctors had very minimal interruptions. They embraced this. And I remember the times of them yelling down the hallway to the nurse, hey, you know, I'm about to hop into exam four. Can you just enter in a CBC Chem 7 in room seven? I'll be right in. They had this group flow ability. And now doctors are told they have to enter everything by hand. They're the ones that have to time and date stamp it. There was a lot more feedback years ago because you got feedback in person. You got Mm -hmm. the gratitude from the patient and the family. And it was just a lot more of a humanistic approach to medicine. Fast forward now, this is why we're burning out. We don't have flow. We don't have the ability to control our schedule, to control our staff, to control the metrics we define our success from. And yet our corporations are saying, well, how about we pay you more if you see more? But that's not really what we're in the profession for. We're in the profession to find that gratitude and help people and also emerge a fully mm-hmm. formed human and not burned out. So there's a lot of reasons that you know we're feeling this cramp in our healthcare system. And I think this is certainly a pandemic has only accelerated this, that people feel more disconnected, more isolated, and it gets harder and harder to find the human aspect in our work. And if you're not really intentional about it, then that things seamlessly get gets lost and you don't even know where it went. So why don't right. we go a little bit more tactical and look through what goes into creating such a culture that's inspired by flow with some tactical tips and then go from there. Right. And this is going to be a little uncomfortable, right? Because change is uncomfortable and we can't keep doing what we're doing in our current healthcare system and expect better outcomes. It's not going to happen. So this is not going to change overnight. And a lot of the discussion around healthcare transformation It feels hopeless at first. And I'm just doing this kind of disclosure to everybody that, you know, this is not a Pollyanna approach that is going to magically make your life all better. Our healthcare system is not functioning well. So we have to start thinking out of the box or coloring outside the lines Mm -hmm. of different ways to deliver medicine. And it starts with the individual practitioner. It starts with that practitioner looking at themselves at their calendar, at the ways they can say no, at the boundaries, the way that they enter in their exam room. Is there another way they can make it more efficient? And so is there another way they can deliver one-to-many, doing group visits, doing different kinds of thinking around how they can get their patients healthier. So I use a framework that is modeled after the story of Archimedes. Are you familiar with the story of Archimedes? I I remember that you talked about the aha 
before, but for those of you listening, I think it bears repeating, but it's a, it's a good story. It's a good story. You know, he's a mathematician, brilliant guy, loved numbers way more than I ever will. And he was told, the history books say that he was toiling over the dilemma of how to solve the volume of an object. And he sat there and sat there and could figure it out. And that right there is the first stage of a flow cycle, which is struggle. You have to have something that's just out of your reach. And this is where practitioners fear a lot of struggle. Well, I can't get on social media. That's new. I'm nervous. No, that's good. That's part phase one of flow. So he was struggling and couldn't think of the answer. So then unknowingly, he went to phase two of a flow cycle where he decided, I'm just going to go ahead and take a bath. And the minute he immersed his body and saw the volume of water displaced, he then jumped up and said, aha. And I guess the books say he ran naked through the hallways. You do not have to be naked to get into flow. And so this aha moment is the second release phase of a flow cycle. Then he went back to his books and he was able to eloquently get the equation for a volume of an object. That's the flow state. And then there's the recovery, which is the final state. So I like the aha moment because it just shows the full four phase flow cycle in action. So the aha is the mnemonic for anchor, highlight, activate. And this is literally the retro engineering of burnout. We're actually helping practitioners build this catalyst culture in their own way. So anchoring is anchoring to your values. Have you done a core values identification lately? Many haven't because we think that they stay the same and they don't, they shift. You might think you want to be in a brick and mortar. Maybe now you're in a digital nomad phase of your life and you want to have more freedom and that's okay. But if you're targeting your efforts to an, a local area, then you're going to feel disconnected and burned out. So looking at your values, looking at clear goals, flow loves goals. So anchoring these values, these aspirational visit, visions and missions, and then you move to highlight. Highlight is highlighting where you're making a difference. And what I mean by that is highlighting both gratitude and the goals you would like, but also redefining your measurement of success. Oftentimes we use a lagging metric of success, like the outcome, which is nice, like saying, I want to run a marathon, but then not celebrating until you run that marathon. And you're going to get out of sync. You're not going to be inspired to keep training. So you, it's preferable to start measuring your leading metrics, the input you're putting. I ran two miles today. That's a great thing. I'm going to check that off. So I encourage practitioners to not concentrate so much on the outcome. I want to have 50 discovery calls, right? That's great. But that's not a metric to, to measure your worth by. How about we talk about how you are putting that input in to your discovery calls. Do you have a system that you've nailed down? Do you have the script that you'd like to say? Are you confident in how you're doing this and, and measuring the input? And then finally, the activate is about emotional embodiment and energy. Burnout is you feel like you're running on fumes. You are disconnected. You're a walking brain on a stick. You have no emotions. You're just a meat suit skeleton. And so I work with practitioners to really improve that fluency of interoception where you can measure how your body feels because that bottom-up processing can tell you before your logical brain can whether you should make that decision to partner with that affiliate or not. I mean, this is where you get to be this superpower Jedi of great energy because you just show up and you can make decisions like in a snap. So that's the quick aha of it. And there's a lot more to it, but that's the general gist. 
Yeah, there's so many great takeaways from this. I love the aspect that you mentioned about the highlighting that, it, and it feeds right into the gratitude and creating really daily gratitude and feeling good about the work that you're doing in the moment that you're doing it. I think so many of us think you need to define the values for your company and it might seem like a very corporate exercise. Oh, this needs to go on my website with a mission statement. But there's very practical application that if you're not clear on where you're going, how are you going to get there? And, you know, you're going to hate the journey that you're on. Do you want to take the scenic route or do you want to take the highway? Yes. What is that daily experience like? And I think as practitioners and many entrepreneurs, we're always looking at these goals where we eventually want to get. And then they get to the top of the mountain and they're like, oh, well kind of anticlimactic and what's next and they get to the mountain and they see oh there's the next mountain that's even higher and you kind of feel deflated so i think you really have to stop smell the roses along the way and again just like in yoga it's like the actual practice that's the goal how you show yes. up every day and are you having fun are you staying in flow are you minimizing distractions and what annoys you. So I think there's so much in this highlighting phase to really define success, as you said, on your own terms. Said, I'd rather have less money and be happy than have a Ferrari and sit there in my Ferrari crying. I mean, that's oh certainly gosh. not going to yes. be me having all the money in the bank and not enjoying it. It's like, I, I'm going to spend all my money on experiences and that's something I will have for life. I love that. You highlighted exactly that. That's why we start with the anchoring. Because if you don't anchor your goals or anchor your values and what matters to you, that's going to affect all of the things that you define success as, right? You're highlighting what you want to achieve is going to be different if you have different anchored values. So like you said, the whole Ferrari, I don't care to ever own a yacht. So it doesn't matter. That's not my metric of success. And this is where practitioners can falter. This is a huge mistake practitioners make is they anchor their self-worth and how good they are of a practitioner based on a patient's outcome. And that again, is not something you can control. So instead of looking at, I need to get more testimonials of success. I need to make all the patients healthy again. That's actually codependent thinking. You can show up as a practitioner and work just as hard as the patient. And I have that rule about mm -hmm. you know making sure you're partnering in a 50-50 partnership. And you work just as hard and you will show up 100% for that 50% partnership. But you're going to measure your self-worth based on those things. Did I show up in that appointment? Have I provided them with education? Have I nurtured them? Have I made thing as things as clear as I can? Do I offer maybe a group visit where they can pop in and ask questions? How am I servicing them and their journey? Because that's how you measure your success. Now, if they don't get better or they don't show up or they aren't partaking, again, that is their choice. But I, I think a lot of practitioners get really downtrodden thinking, oh no, I'm not making any effort or I'm not making any improvements when you are. You just have to measure the right things. Yeah, absolutely. And I think nobody points this out when you're starting out designing your practice, your business. Hey, this is what you can control. And this is why I love where you help people through building clinical care process that, you know, it's like, okay, you just have to create a methodology so that you know, this is how the process works. And if both the patient and I follow through on the process, we will have success, but you can't want it more than the patient and kind of make up for the patient's lack of buy-in and empowerment. Yes. And I think 
you know, in part, maybe that comes with experience. It would be nice if somebody told people this at the outset, listen, don't measure your success based on what everyone else thinks success looks like. Again, this comparisonitis where we're looking at everyone else, oh, they're on TikTok and they have that many followers. And if you hate being on TikTok or doing videos, then that's not your success metric. And you just, you know, who cares how many followers you have on social media if you're happy, your patients love how they can interact with you and define success your way. Yes, and I think that's where functional medicine can be overly complex too much. It becomes overwhelming for the practitioner because as we are people that love our dopamine and we get our we source our dopamine from learning. So a lot of practitioners love conferences. I do too. And I talk to my mentees saying, you know, put things on a snooze list. If everything sounds fun, you're going to sign up. Don't do any impulse buys. Like wait 24 hours, 48 hours before you sign on for another conference. We love our learning. But functional medicine is complex and you don't have to know it all before just starting to help people. And that's where I think we get excited to share with our patients and forget that just doing one or two steps along the way, having your methodology. And if you don't have a methodology, just have a system of how you want to see patients. This is what happens first. Then we go here. Giving them a roadmap to allow them to see that vision is so clarifying. The future truly is visual. The future is visual. The more visual you can get with your patients, even if you don't have the nitty gritty deep details saying, this is where we're headed. This is why you're feeling this way. It allows them to take a step back and go, oh, I understand. Mm -hmm. And that's where I, I, I step back from packages because that unfortunately creates an unequal power dynamic. So if you're a practitioner listening right now, one step you can do to make yourself more flow channeled is looking away from a package and more towards a consistent membership platform because it's consistent for you, it's consistent for the patient. It shows them ethically that I will be here as long as you need and you can adjust the bare minimum requirements of your contract, but it's such an equal power dynamic that they aren't giving you thousands of dollars and now you feel like you have to produce an outcome for them, which isn't possible in our human body. So that's just one way to help yourself get more flow channeled. Yeah, I've had many of our clients that we shifted to this model especially at the beginning of the pandemic when they realize, wow, people are afraid of spending money. And if I sell them into a six months package, they don't want to do it because they don't know if they have a job the next day. And then the unintended side effect from switching to a more membership model where people pay on an ongoing basis is that it really shifted the responsibility away from, hey, the practitioners are here to fix you and deliver right. a certain outcome, which as you said, is impossible to, hey, we have a shared journey here and you determine how long you need me and how I can be helpful, but make no mistake, I can't walk this journey for you. You gotta walk with me. And if you goof off and don't do anything I tell you to do, then this journey will take you longer and it right. will be more and costly. So it really puts the burden back on the patient and balances back out saying, listen, I can only assist you up the mountain, but you still have to walk up the mountain. Right, right. And that also is so flow channeled because flow is also an internal locus of control, right? Flow is very autotelic. It's very grandiose. It's very addicting. And so flow in, in this example that you're saying is when you give a patient back that 
internal locus of control, that empowerment, you're doing them a service by saying, hey, it's going to be broken up into chunks. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Instead of this, here you can promise with your money, and that's basically what it is, is that false dopamine high of, okay, I put down a ton of money, so therefore I think I'm making progress. And that's a false belief, a psychological belief, human behavior. And then they're expecting an outcome. And what most patients will do is they'll hoard those appointments. They'll save them, save them because they feel like, you know, I don't want to use them yet. And then suddenly the package is almost expired and you've got this patient saying, I've got to see you five times, you know, in the next like two weeks. And that's not how change works. So making this more of a predictable cadence is helpful and psychologically safer for patients to open up and give you the information needed to make that change. Great. I'm curious, in the beginning, we talked about what a catalyst culture is, and you mentioned psychological safety, and there's other things just around beyond flow. I want to explore some of those, how it can help practitioners in their workplace to feel safer and more grounded and more connected. Um, Ooh, there's lots of things. Let's see. What should we pick? We could talk simply with just the environment, whether you're virtual. Well, let's, let's do brick and mortar. If you're in a brick and mortar practice, there's a lot you can do to create a psychologically safe environment. You can have common language and shared values with your staff. You can have these repeatedly talked about, almost like a drum beating culture that this is what we believe, right? I, an example is, I believe that we should make time for play and creativity as a priority. So my staff know that they can reserve two days a month where they can be not public facing and they put an autoresponder on their email that says, we prioritize play and creativity. I'm not at my desk. You know, So there's all these ways that you can keep reinforcing this culture and it provides this coherence of we're in this together. Then when they walk in the room, you can take advantage of all the senses. And a lot of our practitioners do really well at this. They have essential oils diffusing, look at the artwork, the greenery, the plants, lots of handshaking if that's available. And we're so excited to have you here. It's about the journey, creating this environment that you're taking care of them and you're giving giving them the expectation that this is going to be healing. Taking account of your own body language is huge. I mean, we can go into an hour just on that alone of how you can create a psychologically safe feeling just based on how you tilt your head, how you look at their eyes, how you smile. And that comes with practice. If it's something that is difficult over Zoom, you can still do that. And that's why the virtual space has sometimes an advantage for psychological safety. People feel safe in their home. They like to be in their home and they actually feel better. And so this like is why- Like to be the, in their pajamas. Yes, yes. <laughs> you know, business on top, pajamas on bottom. And so this is why I don't think there's anything out of reach. I think this is about to be a dawn of a better healthcare. I truly believe with AI and the conferences I've attended on burnout, we're in the dark ages because right now it is so burdensome. Over 144 messages will flood the inbox of one practitioner per day per day. That's insane. And that's all because of the Cures Act that started to release our lab records before the doctor could look at them. So people get worried. So we are kind of putting the cart before the horse. We're trying to be tech savvy in healthcare before we've got our systems nailed. And so we're in the dark ages. Practitioners are burning out, but recent research says only 20% of burnout is due to the EMR because soon we're going to get 
things like DAX, Siri, like Siri in your exam room that's going to listen to what you say and then write your chart and your notes for you. And I think AI is going to make it a lot more fun to be a doctor again, because it's going to help us with that cognitive drain and we're not having to do all the busy work. Absolutely. That was kind of a circuitous I think, way. I think I answered your question and then just went yeah. on a tangent. <laughs> no, I think it was good ideas to tee this up. And I agree with you that ChatGPT is really protecting your cognitive reserves because it doesn't make you think about all the mundane things. It gives you a first draft. You see the difference between staring at a blank Google Doc and thinking about like, what should I be writing about versus, hey, press this button and three seconds later, you have a first draft that you can copy edit. And now it's a lot easier because you're editing what's already there, adding your own voice to it. And so yes. I think there's a lot of things where I can really help monotonous stuff. It never sleeps. It is so much more efficient. It barely costs anything. So I think definitely great productivity increases. And I'm personally on a mission to help health practitioners with AI-powered marketing and leveraging all these productivity tools as you are. Now, I know that you have a special assessment that helps people with restoring their sense of where they are, getting a sense of where they need to go. So let's talk about this. I know we can put this in the show notes. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, so first of all, I just I do love that you are helping practitioners leverage AI. And I think we underestimate the amount of drain. I just want to comment on this first because it's so important. The amount of drain we give ourselves by keeping too many things in our working memory. Like I noticed myself the other day, I have a system, a workflow for speaking with a graphic design team that I use and I don't use them often, but thank goodness, past Lara was helping future Lara by writing out an SOP just for myself. It wasn't even for my staff, but back then I thought this took a lot for me to remember who to ask and where and when, so I wrote it down. And this is my ask of everybody listening. We underestimate how tiring it is to have to rethink something that is actually simple. So write things down, make your own SOPs as early as you can, even if it's just for yourself. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of practitioners tell me, oh, but I don't have staff yet. That's okay. Write your SOPs because it'll help your brain. You don't have to think, how do I order that lab test again? Where do I go? Even if it's easy to find, it's so much faster and less cognitively draining if you just find a document and follow it. So that's just my little plug to help your own brain be psychologically mm -hmm. safe. But about the restoration. So I'm on a mission to teach a million health professionals how they can tap into flow so that they can regain that autonomy and be more joyful and have fun in medicine again and less burnout. So I am creating this eventual program that is going to be a very deep dive into using elements of the AHA plan. But for now, we have a free restoration plan that will be customized. You'll take a 10 question test and it will figure out which bucket do you need help with first? Is it anchor? Is it highlight? Is it activate? Which of those are you suffering in peddling burnout? So then it will customize a restoration plan delivered to your inbox and it will have articles, it'll have videos, it'll have things that you can start doing to excavate that and improve that section of your life. Absolutely. I'll totally love it. When I took it, it was 
I was actually surprised by the outcome. Yeah, I had packs like, okay, I need more help with the last part. And then it's like, well, you actually probably could use more help with the middle part. So always good information from your end. And thank you for your generosity in really sharing so many amazing resources, not just with me behind the scenes, but with your community. It's great to see a doctor that really emphasizes creativity and outside the box thinking that when I see your TikToks, it's like, wow, she has time to paint and do all these things. And then I rephrase it. It's not, she doesn't have time. She makes time because that is important to her. So I think we all could do better by focusing on what is really important to you and putting that on the calendar, making time for it and prioritizing this. So as always, let the guests have the final word in closing out the episode. So turning it over to you. Ooh, I like that. The final word, you know, only one, Uli, I don't think I can pick one. But I would say, do what matters most to you, find what brings you joy, and keep it simple, right? Flow it, you know it when you have it. And if it feels easy, keep doing more of that. Find that flow in your life. And Don't be scared to think differently and color outside the lines. There's a lot of fun that can be had in medicine and you deserve a career that is a self-expression of your own personal values and what matters to you and dare to be different. There you go. There's a lot of words for you. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing all these nuggets and for everyone else listening. We'll see you next week. I believe mastering persuasion is one of the most essential skills in life and certainly in business because nothing ever happens without a yes. Yet we can only effectively influence other people's decisions when we truly understand how the brain makes those decisions. Once you master the decision-making formula, your message becomes ever more clear and influential. Join us next week for our newest episode of Getting to Yes And if you enjoyed this episode, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening. And feel free to share it with colleagues and friends. I'm your host, Uli Iselo. See you next week.